good morning. Isn't the Lord's Day great? It's so good to be able to gather with God's people. Isn't it great to be able to be in person? Thank you, Lord, for that. And if you were here last Sunday, we looked at the first part of 1 John chapter 1 and um, saw that there are two powerful evidences for Christianity. One is objective. It's the incarnation, which we just sang about, how the Son of God left heaven and came to this cradle in the dirt, this season that we'll be celebrating, Advent season, Christmas season. But the second evidence, the second proof of Christianity is subjective, and it's what we're just experiencing right here. When God's people gather, we become a living temple, and the Holy Spirit lives among us. And you can sense that, can't you? It's such a true. I don't know most of you, but I know the Spirit that's here when we gather together and sing together. And I know it's the Spirit of the Lord. And it's so good to be able to be uh, back with you today. Um, and I'm uh, uh, just, just encouraged to be able to open uh, 1 John. Uh, we're going to look at the, the um, second part of um, chapter 1 this morning. So we're going to look at 1 John 1, 5 through 10. So please... Uh, Look there with me, turn there with me in your Bibles. The text will also be behind me. I want to encourage you, if you uh, have a Bible with you or in front of you, keep it open or available as we go through the, uh, through, through the message because I'm going to keep referring to it. And those are the most important words that you're going to hear this morning. I'll do my best to explain them and, and make them plain to you. But those are the words that have the power of eternal life in them and through them. First John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Well, let's pray. Oh God, you are light. Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. We thank you that you stepped down into our darkness to bring the light of salvation, the light of your presence into this world. And I pray that you would bring your light into our minds and hearts. As we sang and prayed for the the nearness of the Spirit, we pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your law, we pray. Amen. Well, if I asked you, what do you need to know about life in order to live well, what kinds of things might come to mind? If you're going to live a good life as parents, maybe, what are you teaching your children about how to live life well in this world? What sort of knowledge is essential or vital to understanding yourself, to understanding the people in your life, the people around you, to understanding the world that we live in. J.I. Packer, uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, has this to say about vital knowledge, essential things to know. He says, the subject of sin is vital knowledge. Now hold your applause. I know that's exciting news, but 
It's, it's, it's worth considering. The subject of sin is vital knowledge. I wonder for how many of us did that come to mind when we thought about what was most important or vital things to know. He says to say that our first need in life is to learn about sin may sound strange, but in the sense intended, it is profoundly true. If you have not learned about sin, you cannot understand yourself or your fellow men or the world you live in or the Christian faith. And you will not be able to make head or tail of the Bible, for it is an exposition, for the Bible is an exposition of God's answer to human sin. One way to describe the Bible is to say, this is God's answer to human sin. So learning about sin, let's face it, isn't high on most people's priority list. But I really think Packer makes an excellent point here and he gets this right. It's, it's really impossible to make sense of life without understanding sin. So here we are, gathered together as God's people, and if, if you've become a Christian, if you've become a member of this church, no doubt you've confessed your sins, you've begun to understand these things and to deal with them. Is it still true for us as believers? Is it still true for Fairfax Bible Church that the knowledge of sin is vital to understanding life, to understanding the Bible, to understanding the world in which we live? There are questions for us, aren't there? Can Christians sin? Why do Christians sin? If a Christian sins, does that mean they're not a Christian anymore? Are they flipping back and forth from converted to unconverted? Now, this, this letter that we call 1 John, the first of John's three letters, is proof that Christians, churches like this one, definitely need to be educated about sin. The letter that we're reading was written to a group of churches, probably in Western, what would be today, Western Turkey, cities like Ephesus and Laodicea and Smyrna, this group of churches had fallen under the spell of some false teachers. Those teachers had lived among them and sort of were making disciples in these churches, and then at some point, fairly recently, it looks like they had left, and it had created just a lot of chaos. The combination of the teaching, the relationships, and the leaving just turned these churches upside down. They were really struggling. The bad teaching was robbing these Christians of their confidence in Christ. And some of that teaching seems to have been about sin. In fact, that's the very first thing when John starts to, to hone in on the things that are on his heart to talk to this church about, to sort of try to strengthen what's, what's been uh, weakened. The very first thing he addresses is sin. And what we have here in this passage is really, there's sort of three slogans you know, if, if, if there were ancient bumper stickers, these might be, uh, you know, first, sort of first century bumper stickers. If you notice as we go through this passage, three times it says, if we say, if we say this, if we say this, if we say this, three times that's in there. I think that's likely John paraphrasing these slogans that these false teachers had circulated in these churches. And, he's gonna, and so he's going to quote this slogan, if we say this, and he's going to say, uh-uh, doesn't work, this is the right way to go. So, so that's what this little passage is about. This passage has three lies that he's engaging and exposing in order to bring the truth. And each of these lies has something to do with sin. So sort of what, what John is trying to do for these churches and what the Holy Spirit is doing for us here today is saying, hey... Don't be tricked by lies about sin. Remember, the original sinner, the first tempter, Satan, 
is extremely tricky, deceitful, right? And so dealing with sin, there's always going to be a degree of deceit and trickery involved. But don't be tricked by lies about sin. Stand firm on what we learn from Jesus Christ. Stand firm on the Word of God. So we're going to look at these three lies here today, and we're going to see how we can replace them with truth. But first, we want to start where John starts. He doesn't start with the lies. He starts with this foundation, and that foundation is in verse 5. Here's his thesis. Look back again with me at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him. From who? From Jesus. Remember, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He's part of that inner circle of, of, of three, even. And so he says, this is the message we heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So John is a, is a wise pastor and teacher. He doesn't start with the error. He starts with the truth. He's summarizing what he's heard from Jesus. And he's saying, look, remember, I was with Jesus. I sat with him. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. I had fellowship with him. And, and I can sum up for you here in three words what he taught us. Here's, here, here it is. God is light. God is light. Jesus' teaching so impressed this upon John that he, he, he wants to share this with those people. And, and, and he's sharing it here with us today too. Do you know this about God? God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Now, what does that mean? When John says he heard Jesus say, God is light, he's dropping us into one of the master themes of the Bible. One of the wonderful things about the Bible is 66 books, there's something like 40 human authors, but you know, it reads like a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. It reads like a story with a setting, a uh, uh, a, a, a situation that, that creates tension and, and, and difficulty leads to a, a, a peak, a climax, and then, and then there's a, a resolution and, and an outcome. And in the beginning, as the story opens, light is right there in view. You touched on Genesis 1, the spirit being, being present at the creation. In Genesis 1, on the first day, God says, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. But have you ever thought about this? It's not until day four that he creates the sun, the moon, the stars. So think about that. Somehow there was light before there was a sun. Somehow there was this rhythm of day and night. There's something, there's some kind of light that was more basic than sunlight that existed in the world and in the universe before the sun existed. What do you suppose that could be? You know, it's a bit of a riddle that I think really gets unraveled in the very last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. There we find a new creation. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new Jerusalem. And you know what won't be there? There's no sun. Or moon. And yet, what will be there? Light. Why will there be light without the sun or moon? Because the glory of God, God in his radiant presence, will be there lighting up the new heavens and the new earth. God is light. 
This is a summary of the essence of who God is. And so there's a, there's a, a moral, sort of an ethical side to this. To say that God is light is to say that God is pure and holy. He's warm and good. Just as light shines, it's the nature of light to shine forth and reveal. So it's God's nature to shine forth and reveal himself, to make himself known in creation. Now we contrast that with, in him is no darkness at all. What's John talking about there? He's talking about the darkness of sin. He's talking about the darkness of immorality. He's talking about human sin and and, and he's in, in effect saying, follow the imagery here, human sin, sin is cold. Sin is blinding. It doesn't lead you to see better. It, it, it takes your sight away. And so Isaiah, the prophet, could say, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Can you see what he's doing there? Light and darkness, good and evil. There's this imagery that runs throughout the scriptures. And Jesus then comes and says, I am the light of the world, right? Isn't that good news? Into our darkness, he comes. The light shines in the darkness, John writes in his gospel, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's trying to, but it can't. Martin Luther King Jr., this is on his memorial downtown, he says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He's got the biblical imagery functioning here for us. Jesus' saving presence, the light of the world, means that those who walk in darkness, the whole universe, all people, human beings like us, when, when we encounter him and are encountered by him, we can say those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Right? And we can be transformed by that light, brought out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. So here's the thesis. Here's the baseline. To understand what you need to understand about sin, you've got to start with God. And God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And isn't that good news? Have you ever had the experience where someone that you thought you could depend on turned out not to be dependable? you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been deceived? Or maybe you've done that to someone else. And you know the, the wreckage and the destruction that can come when someone that you thought was treating you as light turns out to be darkness. Or you do that to someone else. I hear this encouragement this morning. God is light. And in him is no darkness. He will never deceive you. He will never betray you. He will never be exposed as being a fraud. He will never be uncovered as being something other than he says he is. He is light, perfect, complete, eternal. This is a summary of the essence of God. Now, if that's true about God, what can we expect about God's people? We expect that Christians will take sin seriously, right? That's Christ has come to, to deal with that. The light of the world coming, 
so that those who walk in darkness can see a great light and live in the good of it. We'll find our remedy for our darkness, the darkness of our sin in Christ, and we, we will begin to live a new way, right? Not the old way of darkness, but the new way of light. And so the, the new way of Christ is a way of light. It's a way of holiness. It's a way of purity. It's a way of love. But what I'm telling you right here, right now, is not what was being taught in those churches by these false teachers. These false teachers were introducing a series of errors about the Christian life and the Christian's relationship with sin. And so now with the thesis, God is light, in him is no darkness at all, let's look at these errors. So look back with me at verse 6, please. Here's the first if we say. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's two directions, two kinds of walking going on here, right? There's walking in darkness, verse 6, there's walking in the light. So the if we say is if we say we have fellowship with God, who is light, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So lie number one is your sin has no impact on your relationship with God. You can sin at will, you can sin as much as you want, you can walk in darkness and be a Christian. So here's the first faulty claim. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk, keyword, walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. So they're saying, look, your, your profession of faith, these false teachers are saying, your profession of faith in Christ doesn't have to be matched up with a new way of living. You can keep living the old way and just profess faith in Christ, and that's fine. Now, time out. This is a, 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 I want to give a little condemnation alert here. Because I know in a group like this, there's a range of people, and there are some who have consciences that are super busy, super active, probably overactive, and whenever you hear something like you're just, a, just hearing right here, you're, you're immediately applying it to yourself, condemning yourself, and saying, okay, I must not be a Christian because I still sin. So I want to tell you, you're not the, the, the person John is speaking to here, okay? We're not talking about the Christian who's stuck in sin but wants to change. We're not talking about the person who is grieved over their sin and, and yet comes to Christ for, for forgiveness. We're not talking about the person who is, 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 is wrestling with these things or maybe even unaware of things but, but ready to, to come into the light when, when God reveals it. We're talking about a way of living. The key word here is walk. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, what does that mean? Well, to walk is your direction of life right? You're either walking north or you're walking south. You can't walk both directions at the same time. There's a direction that your life is taking. So the lie here is that you can be a Christian but still engage in sin willingly, voluntarily, and as a way of life. Now what might this look like? Well, it could be like a person who at a retreat, at a church service like this, at some moment in their life, makes some decision for Christ, maybe, maybe even gets baptized, but fundamentally continues to live for themselves, fundamentally rejects and ignores God in his world and lives as though there is no God. 
We see this in sort of the celebrity Christian culture that, that we live in with leaders who are super gifted and amazing teachers but continue to behave badly without repentance, right? Abusive leaders, sexually immoral leaders, greedy leaders. John is saying, look, the way of life for a Christian won't be darkness. The way of living in darkness and saying you're a Christian Those are sort of incompatible things. It's a lie, he says. Because light and darkness can't walk arm in arm down the street. It doesn't work like that. So this is an easy religion, but it's a false religion. The truth is, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what happens? We have fellowship with one another. Right. So that experience of fellowship is driven by and generated by the, the, the turning of our lives over to God, coming into His light, that doesn't just change our relationship with Him. It brings us into fellowship with His people and the blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin. Right? Present tense, it's an ongoing experience. So we're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about a lifestyle. So what's, what's needed for fellowship with the God who is light is a new way of living, a whole new life, and that's what Jesus comes to give us, right? He comes to give us a new life. You don't sort of pull yourself out of the pit of darkness and ascend to the light. He comes down to you, and you repent of your darkness, receive his gift of forgiveness, receive his empowering spirit, and come into a kingdom that is light. This is all made possible by Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. How does it do that? How does the blood of Christ get us out of darkness and into the light? Is there something magic in the, in the hemoglobin? Is there something special about the, the chemical makeup of that blood? No, the, 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 the imagery there for his blood is his life. He shed his blood as an animal sacrifice when their blood was shed. It means he died. Right? So he gave up his life as a substitute sacrifice for sinners like us. And so... If you will open up your life to him and bring him your darkness, you're not required to, to uh, achieve a certain set of, of, of holiness or, 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 or law following before he'll accept you. No, what he wants is your sin. Bring him your darkness and trade that in for his light. He will cleanse you from all sin. There's no sin that's too difficult for him to wash clean and forgive and pardon. And then the result is you get brought into fellowship. Why does forgiveness with God, why does removal of, uh, from the kingdom of darkness and, and coming into the kingdom of light, why does that create fellowship with other Christians? Well, here's why. Because sin is fundamentally antisocial, right? Sin does not bring us together, at least not for long. Sin drives us apart. Sin tells us things like, oh, you don't need those people, or Man, if those people really knew who you really are, they wouldn't want you around. They'd reject you. So go hide. Don't let anybody know who you are. But those are lies. And that's what sin does. Just like in the garden, the first thing that happened when Adam and Eve sinned was they hid from God and they hid and covered themselves from each other. 
Shame and guilt drive us apart, but light brings us together. With God as our Father, we become family. We can open up with one another and even enjoy being together. And that's what's happening here. That's what makes the Lord's Day so wonderful. That's what makes small group fellowship so wonderful. That's what makes fellowship over a cup of coffee so sweet and amazing, is that we've come into the light with who is God, and and that brings us into new relationships with his people, with his family. So the lie here is that sin has no impact on your relationship with God. The good news is that if you bring your sin to God, the light will not only transform you and make you clean, it'll bring you into new relationships with other believers. That's the first lie, and there's the remedy for it, the blood of Christ. Second lie is in verse 8. Look there with me. If we say, excuse me, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the second, if we say. What's it say? If we say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So here's the claim. You can be a Christian and have no sin. You can be completely free from sin right now. You can be a sin-free zone on the earth. The claim is, I have no sin. Sin is no longer an issue for me here. I can give my attention to other things. I don't need to worry about that anymore. So, okay, well, let's think about this. But if, if we've come into the kingdom of light, if we're following Jesus, who's the light of the world, if his spirit is in us, well, how come we still sin? How can we still sin? Having chosen light, wouldn't you expect darkness to be no longer an issue? Well, it will be one day no longer an issue. But we're in the not yet of that great promise. And one day we will be with each other in a new creation with Christ and there'll be no sun because Christ will be the light of the world. Evil will be barred at the gates and there will be no temptation, no indwelling sin remaining in us and no evil in that place. Here, now, we've been set free from sin's penalty. Christ took that for us. Sin's ruling power has been broken so that it's no longer in charge. But we're not free yet from its presence. And its presence isn't just out there somewhere. It's actually, uh, it's right here in Mark's heart and yours too right? Some Christians have taught that Christians can be perfected in this life. And perhaps that's even what was being taught in these churches. Entire sanctification is what it's called, or perfectionism, as John Wesley taught. But this is to close your eyes not only to reality, but also to the scriptures. It's to, John says, deceive yourself. This can be very subtle, you might not say, hey, I'm a sin-free zone. I, I, I never sin anymore. I'm done sinning. I, I'm not even capable of sinning. You might not talk like that, but maybe you think something like, well, sure, I'm, I'm not, I know I'm not perfect, but I think I'm doing pretty well. Not even sure I sin today. Maybe even this week. So we might just pause for a little just self-examination here. Let the spirits do its, do its work through the word and Just ask, when was the last time you confessed a sin to God? It's been a day, a week, 
A month? How long has it been? Or to someone else. See, I find for me, I can slide into this lie without just swallowing it whole. I just kind of slide in this direction sort of through apathy. You know what happens is my conscience gets dull. My heart gets a little cold. I get distracted by things going on outside of me in the world and desires that I have on the inside of me. And I find that I'm no longer confessing sin to God and to others, and yet it is still there. If I say I have no sin, I'm deceiving myself. And my friends are usually ready to help me <laughs> remember, hey, you're not as good as you think you are, right? The new way isn't I have no sin. The new way, the life in Christ way is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? He is faithful and just. This isn't just a wave of the hand. This isn't just a, oh, we'll let bygones be bygones. No, when God forgives your sin, it's just. It's righteous because Christ took your penalty for you. And he died in such a comprehensive way that there is no sin in our lives that it can't cover. He is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means sin that you've committed and sin that's been committed against you. There's good news. There is deliverance possible from the shame and guilt that come from sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, is that kind of a one-time thing? Okay, so you become a Christian, you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. You're forgiven. Does that mean there's no need anymore for any ongoing dealing with sin, any confession? Maybe you've, okay, I, I admitted it, I was a sinner, but I, I'm not anymore. Well, actually, if you kept going, the very next thing John does is he say, is in the chapter 2, he says, hey, by the way, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So he's speaking to a church, he's speaking to Christians like us, and he's saying, hey, I hope you won't sin, I hope this will help you. But you know what, when you do, you've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. You can chew on those verses, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 on your See, sin is it, it, it's all, almost always more serious than we think it is. And it needs our attention because what we forget about sin, what so quickly slips out of sight for so many of us, is that sin is first and fundamentally against God. Sin is living as though we live in God's world, but sin is living as though God doesn't exist or isn't in charge. Sin is living as though it's our world and we're in charge. So sin is fundamentally vertical. It's always a worship problem before it's a behavior problem. And, and, and so we need forgiveness because sin disrupts this relationship with God. When a Christian sins, we don't flip from being Christian and non-Christian. But it does disrupt our relationship. You know that. When, if, you're, if you're married and, and you sin against your spouse, you know it can disrupt that relationship, right? If you have a friend, brother, a sister... And, and you sin against that person or they sin against you, you know it, it, it can be disruptive to relationships. Well, the same, there's relational maintenance that's needed. The same thing's true in our relationship with God. It affects our relationships. And so we 
don't believe we can be sin-free, a sin-free zone from here to our, our death in this world, but we do know that we can confess all our sins right now and even today be washed and cleansed and get a fresh start. Isn't that good news? That's so wonderful. What a great God we serve. Jesus Christ came to make this possible. And the final one, the final if we say is in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So what's the lie here? If we say we haven't sinned, well, this seems even a little more comprehensive than the second one, and that is, hey, just sin's never been an issue for me. I don't need to be forgiven. I don't need Jesus. I don't need rescue. I don't need saving because I've never sinned. And the reality is, you may think, well, how could anybody say that? But, but the reality is so many people in our world live that way and think that way. And we may say, people may say things like, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I've never killed anybody, robbed any banks, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is that all people have sinned. And so to say that you haven't sinned, if we say we have not sinned, what happens? Again, sin has a vertical element to it before a horizontal one. To say that we haven't sinned is to make God a liar. Why? Because God says all people have sinned and fallen short of his glory. That's what he says about the human race. That's our condition. And so to say that's not true is to make God a liar. The truth is, Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, I want to urge you this morning. If you haven't come to faith in Christ, if you haven't acknowledged your sin before God, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, Isaiah writes, forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. See, our sin isn't just what we do, it's what we believe and what we think. Let him return to the Lord. God will have compassion on you. God will abundantly pardon and forgive anyone who comes to him. Let us not say we have not sinned. That's to make God a liar. But let us receive the remedy for sin that this wonderful triune God that we sang to earlier today has made possible for us in Christ. So this passage is just saying, hey, church, don't be tricked by lies about sin. These lies downgrade the seriousness of sin. These lies downgrade the presence of sin in the lives of believers. And the truth is that sin is darkness while God is light. So that being the case, sin couldn't be more serious and Christ's rescue from sin couldn't be more glorious, more amazing, more perfect and wonderful and needed. So let me leave you with a closing illustration this morning. The, the, the imagery here is light and darkness, right? So the, the thesis is, what was the thesis? Anybody remember? God is light. Okay, so here we are. We're, we're in the light. We're going to turn the lights off in a second. So I just want to give you a little, little warning. So but we, we got somebody on the switch, so we're going to be okay. And there's emergency lighting. It's not going to get that dark. So the thesis is God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. But the, 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 the error, the lie is to say we can have fellowship with God while walking in darkness. Now, that's a lie. Okay, so we're going to bring the lights down here. just want you to get a sense of kind of what this might look like. And 
To prove my point, I'm going to have to get my phone out and have a light so I can read my notes. Because if you're trying to do a sermon in darkness, it doesn't work, right? So the, 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 the thing I want to say here is, listen, it, it's obvious, isn't it? Life in darkness doesn't go well. You ever tried to make a pizza in pitch black darkness? Not, not going to work. You know, drive two-lane highway in the country with your lights off? Not a good idea. Going in for heart surgery and there's no lights in the operating room? Uh-uh, don't do it. No, life in darkness does not go well. So if we say we have fellowship with the God who is light, but we walk in darkness, no, we lie. You can't do that. You can't bring that darkness into his light. But the second, second one is this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Now, let me try to illustrate this for you. Because, so we've come to faith in Christ, right? And so we're, we're, we're walking in darkness. Jesus comes. We hear the gospel. We respond. And so, okay, so here's, like, here, here's you. You've become a Christian. You think, isn't that great? I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus. He's the light of the world. So I'm, I'm light now, right? And that's true. But one little problem. See that? You got some pockets of darkness still in you. We're hoping we're this. But we're really this. One day we'll be this. In the meantime, that's you. You've got pockets of darkness still in your life. There is darkness in your heart. There are still sinful desires, habits, thoughts, values, and the Spirit is faithfully at work through the Word, through fellowship, through preaching, through all the means of grace to day by day reduce those pockets of darkness, expose them, and help you walk out of them. But you need to remember that's what you look like right now. One day we'll be that. That's what Jesus is like. But until then, this is where we are now. So we need to remember, no, sin is an ongoing thing for us to deal with in our lives. We, we must not fall into the error of saying we have no sin. The, the final error is to say we have not sin. That's to make God a liar. No, our sin is darkness. But here is the good news. Into the darkness of our world at Christmas, the light of the world stepped down. Isn't that good news? The light of the world came to dispel the darkness and though the darkness fought like crazy against him, it could not overcome him. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And all who come to him leave the kingdom of darkness and come into his glorious light. Isn't it amazing and wonderful? I'm so glad to come into this Advent season to remember one more year in this cycle of, of winter and the days get shorter and the dark nights grow longer and the leaves come off the trees and we remember December 25th that the light of the world stepped into our darkness so that those who walk in darkness could not only see a great light but come to walk in the light as well. That's the good news of the gospel. All right. Now hopefully we can get the lights back on and finish the meeting. Great. Thank you. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that as light you have revealed yourself in creation. You've revealed yourself in Christ. You've revealed yourself by this wonderful word we call the Bible. We thank you 
that into our dark lives the, the light of the gospel has come. We thank you that we've left a kingdom of darkness to live in your glorious light. And thank you that day by day we are increasingly seeing those pockets of darkness in our lives exposed and expelled. And one day we know we'll be delivered from darkness altogether. Until that day, Lord, I pray for each person here that you would bless them in their walking in fellowship and walking in the light. I pray you would bless this congregation and make it a light to this community. Pray as they reach out in the days ahead, I pray that you would send them as ambassadors of light into the darkness of prosperous but dark Fairfax County. Lord, I pray for this congregation that you would provide a senior pastor, a preaching pastor, who would faithfully for many years proclaim Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and help this congregation walk in the good of that light. I pray in Jesus' name.